the book of Ephesians. Again, welcome everyone. So glad that you're here. Uh, pray that God has blessed you already this morning as we've uh, worshiped and uh, exalted his name. Again, for those who are new to fullness, this is our this is what we do. We we exalt, we worship, we sing praises to him. Uh, we we thank him for who he is. We pray for one another. The body of Christ ministers to one another. We operate in spiritual gifts. We we pray that his word will be open to us and will be revealed to us, and that's what we pray right now. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, and we're looking at this uh, to a large extent on Wednesday night in our class called Practicing the Power. For those of you who have not been able to come, uh, I want to encourage you to come on Wednesday nights. Uh, this Wednesday is a little different because we're having our fullness family meeting. I'll talk about that in a minute. But we're doing this class based on a book by Sam Storms called Practicing the Power. And one of the ways, one of the key ways we practice the power of God is when we walk in the spiritual gifts that he's implanted in us. Um, Paul says about spiritual gifts to the church in Corinth, he doesn't want them to be ignorant because he wants them to walk in them appropriately. Because when you walk in spiritual gifts as God has designed for them to operate, the body of Christ, we are built up. Uh, there's too many, uh, too, too much hero worship going on in the church today where one person gets exalted and they seem, by many standards, to be the one building the body of Christ. And um, it, it's a tragedy across our country in many ways that we're seeing some of these leaders um, stumble and fall. And even in the last couple of weeks, we've had some key national leaders who have, who have resigned because of any number of, any number of reasons. Uh, my, my father used to say that uh, there are th three things in ministry that will get you. There, uh, the girls, the gold, and the glory. Uh, one of those three will trip you up if you're not careful, and you always need to be on guard. And um, the, it's not a sexist statement. What he's talking about is uh, sexual immorality, financial impropriety, or trying to really touch the glory of God where you think you are the one. You're God's anointed, and um, we've seen that happen. And the reason it happens way too often is because my contention is that that is not the way the body of Christ is to operate. The body of Christ is to operate with all the parts doing their part. Um, I, I've tried over the years in, in a large extent to, to not allow people to call fullness Bart's church. Oh, that's Bart's church. That's Bart's. Because I don't, I don't want the weight of it, honestly. I don't want that. Uh, I understand that as the founding pastor, there's a certain weight and way things. But I, I, this is God's church. Jesus is the one who builds his church. And you are the body of Christ. It is my job to equip you, as we're going to see today, to do the works of ministry. Uh, because God has gifted all of you in various ways in order for that to take place. And we've looked over these past weeks that on Wednesday night and Sunday morning as we've looked at how we, we join in with what God has for us to do on this planet we, we, and in the body of Christ that we need to be informed. 
about. And Paul says, don't be ignorant. Okay, I don't want to be dumb. I don't want to be stupid when it comes to spiritual gifts. I want to be properly informed about how these gifts operate. I, I, wanna, I want the influence of uh, the Spirit to work in my life. I want to embrace the, the diverse gifts that are in this room, and we want to see them incorporated into how we worship and how this body functions. I want to I see each and every one of you able to identify how God has gifted you so that you can walk in that gifting. Uh, we want to implement those gifts. Um, no gift really works like it's supposed to if it's still in the box on the shelf in the closet. Uh, gifts were made to be implemented. Um, we, we need to also in humility understand that we are each individually limited, but together we're the body of Christ. We need to insist on a culture of honor where one person or one gift doesn't exalt itself over, over the rest and we need to really increase our awareness of each other. Christianity in its basic nature is what? Relational. We say it all the time. It's relationship with God and relationship with one another. Um, if, if you come to fullness, we really want to move you from being just a worshiper on Sunday morning to be engaged in one of our E3 groups. And we'll see why we call them E3 in just a moment but to be engaged in one of our small groups. Because even in a church this size that runs a couple of hundred, we're not a big church, but still, you can pretty well hide out if you want to on Sunday morning. You can waltz in, worship, raise your hands, clap your hands, um, even talk to the person next to you, but they don't really know you. you. There needs to be an environment where people can get to know one another. And, you know, I understand getting to know people at times it's not all it's cracked up to be, right? I mean, people are hard. People are challenging. People have issues. Uh, there's an old proverb that says, where, where there is no oxen, the stall is clean. Get it? You know, if you want, if you want, if you want cleanliness, then, yeah, just stay at home. And, but that's not the way God is designed for us to operate. He's meant for us to operate with one another. There are three different passages in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. There's 1 Corinthians 12, which we looked at extensively over the last couple of weeks. There's uh, Romans 12, which we haven't looked at. We might in the days ahead at some point. And then there's Ephesians chapter 4, which we're going to look at today. And I'm doing this on purpose this morning, talking about Ephesians 4, because it's one of the, Ephesians 3 and 4, really the whole book of Ephesians, is key to who we are as a church. Uh, the name of our church comes from the book of Ephesians, fullness. And we want to see, uh, this Wednesday night we have what's called our fullness family meeting. It's an annual meeting. Uh, we don't have business meetings at fullness. We have an annual meeting where we come together as the family of faith known as fullness to celebrate what God has done in our midst in the last year, and to look forward to what he's going to do in the years this year, particularly in the years to come. So if you're a part of fullness, this is one of our expectations of you, uh, nicely put. This is one of our expectations of you, is that you come to the fullness family meeting uh, this Wednesday night. We'll have dinner together at 6, and then at 7 we'll start the, the family meeting, which will last no more than 45 minutes or so. 
Uh, we're not going to do a lot of extensive stuff, but just to share with one another, to celebrate together what God has done. So come this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, and you're supposed to bring a soup or chili. There's a chili cook-off for those who want to be participate in that, but all the details are, are somewhere. Um, you can find them. Uh, just dig around. You'll be able to find the details. Go to fullness.life. That's where we post everything, fullness.life, and you can see uh, the details about the dinner and then the fullness family meeting. But I want to remind you a little bit of who we are and how God has designed for us to operate. Uh, this whole series is uh, on participate. Um, prepare and then participate. We prepare with God. I was driving to church this morning and um, I, I just got very reflective. Uh, you know how sometimes just all of a sudden, I don't, I don't know if this happens to you at all, but suddenly you, out of nowhere, something will kind of hit you and, and at least it does me, and I'm not in generally a highly reflective kind of personality type, but this afternoon I'm driving over to Macon, and that's where my oldest son lives with his family, and he's an assistant soccer coach at Mercer, and uh, ironically, what, what's kind of happened is I have reconnected with a professor of mine from seminary. Uh, one of my professors when I was in graduate school in seminary has become dean of the music school at Mercer. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's a very strange, kind of surreal thing that actually my son and his family, my son lived with him for about three months while they were transitioning. And uh, it's, it, it, I can't get my head around um, some of the ways God works. This professor of mine my son has been living with. And of course, because I have the most beautiful grandson on the face of the earth, uh, they have adopted Leo uh, as their own grandson, which makes me a little jealous because they see him more than, than actually I do. So we're going over, Kathy and I are to pick up Leo. He's going to stay with us this week, which we're looking forward to. And, but I'm, we're having dinner with uh, this professor and his wife. And I met my wife, I know I'm, I'm going to get to a point here, just hang with me, but I was 27 before I met Kathy. Um, I, I, a lot of reasons, it was just the timing of God. I was 29 when I got married, 31 when I moved here, 33 when we started the church, uh, fullness, um, but really, the years of my life from 18 to 27, those nine years of my life, were really uh, formational in who I am. I mean, there, there so much that God did in those nine years, and we could probably all testify uh, about our 20s. Some of us actually remember our 20s, some not so much, but... Um, it was really formational for who I am as a spiritual person, as a, as a man. And you know what? There's really nobody in my life right now that I have contact with on a frequent basis who knows me from that period. You understand why I was getting reflected? I was thinking, everybody at Fullness, my wife even, has no idea who I was prior to that. Now, let me just say, I was a pretty decent person. I, I, I mean, I've given you my testimony how hard I tried to live the Christian life. But um, if truth be told, I was fairly arrogant. Um, I was, you know, I've always had a biting sense of humor. 
uh, and believe it or not, it's, it's warmed in the years. So if you can imagine what it might have been like in the 20s. Um, but I was thinking about Dr. Keith, who I'm going to see today. He's one of the few people who, who actually knows me from that period, which always puts you in kind of an awkward you know what I mean? When you go and see someone that knows you from when you were younger. But yet, God was in the process of preparing me for stuff that I had no idea about. I, if God had told me when I was 24, hey, someday you're going to move to Birmingham, Alabama, and you and your wife and your kids, you're going to, with the help of some friends, you're going to start a church. And you're going to pastor that church. And you're going to be pastor of that church for 27 years. I would have flipped a switch. I mean, really, I, I, I could never have gotten my mind around it. I still can't at times see what God had done. But in the process, as I look back at those years, 18 to 27, I see where God was prepping me for what he had for me in the future. And I've seen how God is even prepping me for today for something I still don't even know is coming in the days ahead. We are in a constant state of being made ready and then participating when God moves. When God said, hey, I want you to start fullness, and uh, he confirmed it in the, the, the voices of people like Larry Powell and Chris Kuhn and John Kerry and people who helped us begin this work, my father and my brother, and um, I, I, I was ready at that moment to step into what God had. Now, saying yes was hard, but I had been ready. And what I want to encourage you today is this. God is in the process of prepping you, preparing you. And when he moves, I want to encourage you to participate with him, to join in with him. And that's the design of this church. The design of this church is that uh, whenever this body of Christ gathers together, that people encounter God and his people. Um, you may have come here for the first time uh, recently, and you, you might have said, you know, I, I, I'm not sure about the style of the church. I'm not sure about the way that guy preaches or the style of music. I'd rather have this style, gospel music, or Lord help you, or uh, I'd rather have um, classical music, which I can understand a little bit better, but, or, or whatever, but one of the things we want you to not be able to say as you leave this place is, you know, I don't think God was there. Whatever else you may say about the style of what takes place, we want, we want desire every time the body of Christ gathers together that you encounter God. You meet with him. Because we believe it's in God's presence that you will be changed forever. I'm not going to convince you with intellectual words or funny stories to follow God. But God's presence will do that. And so wherever the body of Christ known as fullness meets, small groups, youth, children, we're praying right now that our children encounter God. Amen? In their time of study. It is not daycare. It's not just to get them out of here so we can enjoy hearing the word of God. Our, our desire is that they meet with God, the presence of God. So wherever we encounter God and the people of God, because God is not looking, I don't believe, for a person after his name, but a people after his name. It's about us together. And then we want to move from encountering God to experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit 
the person of God, the way he moves in this earth today, and your purpose. Um, I, I contend that you will never find your purpose, why God created you, the destiny that you have, apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We can have all the seminars we want on purpose, but apart from the person of the Spirit of God who indwells you, and that's really what happened to me in my 20s. I met the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I, he wasn't hiding from me, I don't think. I just had no awareness of who he was and how he was working in my life. But we want that for us. We want that for the people here to encounter God and then experience him. How do we experience the presence of God through the person of the Holy Spirit? By the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, we get filled with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And then we want to see that expand. We want to expand our influence. We believe every person, we believe our church has a sphere of influence that God has given us. Um, the Bible talks about having a harvest field and that uh, God would send laborers into the harvest, that we would know our harvest field. We would know our sphere of influence. There, there, you, have, you have influence in a sphere that I will never have. You know, some of you are going to go to work tomorrow or school tomorrow. Um, if, if I were to go with one of our high school students to their school tomorrow and just follow them around and try and talk to people about Jesus, I'm going to get arrested. Why? Because that's not my sphere. It's a little creepy even um, to, for that to happen. But God has given you that sphere. You're going to be able to go places I could not go. You have an influence that I cannot have. And that's why it's my job to equip you by the power of the Spirit who indwells you to go into your sphere of influence and to harvest it for the name of Christ. That's our, this is our vision. This is who we are in the book of Ephesians. And that's why we call our groups E3 groups. These three E's, encounter, experience, expand. Uh, because that's what takes place within the context of the corporate body and within the small groups that we have as a church. And it all goes back to these passages in Ephesians where at least three different places, Paul prays for the church in Ephesus to have the fullness of God in some form. In Ephesians 1, 23, he says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Who is the head of the church? Jesus is. Please don't forget that. Jesus is the head of the church. But we are his body. We are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Oh, church, if we could get our heads around this. That the fullness of God indwells us. And that we are, as the body of Christ, the fullness of him. It's, why, it's where we get our name, these passages. The, fullness of, the body of Christ is the fullness of Christ. Fullness means we don't lack anything. We have everything we need by his grace in this place to function as he desires. Now, understand, there is a body of Christ universal, but there is also the body of Christ locally. So whether Church of the Highlands or Mountaintop Community or Shades Mountain Baptist, they are all local bodies of Christ. 
the fullness of his power indwells us. Not only that, but we have the fullness of his love. In Ephesians 3.19, he says to know this love. He's talking about, remember that love of Christ that's higher and wider and deeper and longer. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. I want you to, it's always an ironic passage, isn't it? Know this love that you can't know. How do you know it? Well, you know it. It's not a knowing, it's a knowing in our hearts. Know this love that surpasses knowledge. Why? That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How are we filled to all the measure of fullness of God? When we know the love of Christ. By the power of the Spirit, when the love of Christ fills us up to overflowing, we know the measure of the fullness of God. Then chapter 3, right after that, this passage, it closes with the benediction that I speak over us every week. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine. That benediction, that's why we do that benediction every single week. Because it comes out of this great prayer of the fullness of God by the love of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. When we do these things, we, we get immeasurably more power and life than we could ever imagine. Then in chapter 4, he starts off in chapter 4 by saying this, As a prisoner for the Lord then, Paul is in prison, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. For the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul is speaking to them about theological matters. He's talking to them about the mystery of the church. He's talking to them about the fullness of the love of God, about how we become saved, about... Um, the power that we have received. But then in chapter 4, he shifts from talking just about theology to, to making it practical. Okay, in view of this, then, here's, I'm going to urge you to live a life. Preparation and now participation. Get out of the ditch of theology only. And embrace the truth that God has called us to be both a theological people and a practicing people, that we participate with him. And many times churches fall in the ditch on one side or the other. They're either, let's just talk about theology but not actually do anything, um, or they're in the other ditch which says, let's just do stuff, but we'll figure it out later. And really, I, I, again, we believe it's a matter of spirit and truth walking in the truth of God, doing what he's called us to do, embracing both. So we're called to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You have a calling on your life. Every single person in here has a calling on your life. How are we going to live a life? What does this calling look like? That's what I want to kind of focus on just for a moment this morning to talk about the fullness of the power of God indwells us. The fullness of the love of Jesus indwells us. Now live a life worthy of that calling. What does that call look like in practice? Because that's what Paul's going to... So I'm going to look at the uh, passage in Ephesians. And by the way, he uses the word fullness again in this first 16 verses of chapter 4. And let's look at what this calling looks like. It's a called. It's a call to unity. It's a call to unity. I'm going to come back to verses 1 and 2 at the end because it, it works in that setting. But in verse 3, he says this. 
Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Then look at the ones he lists here. One body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The theme that runs through this passage, there is one. There is one God. We, therefore, should be one. We should walk in the unity of the faith. Down at the bottom of this chapter in Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16, he says, instead, he's contrasting it, he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here's the idea. There's this call to unity, togetherness, but in working together, we become strong. We, we, we meld together and the whole body becomes healthy as each part does what? Does its work. As each part does its work. I've used this illustration before, but um, I, I, whenever I go to the gym, I'm always amazed. And I don't go to the gym anymore, honestly, uh, truth be told. There were times where I went to the gym uh, for other reasons, but I, it always cracks me up when I go to the gym. There are guys who from like the waist up look awesome, but then from the waist down the legs part like toothpicks because they just worked this one section of the body. I mean, they just focused on everything had to be about their arms and their chest and their back. And, and they looked odd to me. They looked strange. Now, I'm, personally, I'm a runner, so I run all the time. So my upper body, you know, doesn't look all that great. Um, I, I saw a video of myself not too long ago, and I'm like, man, that shirt I'm wearing needs ironing. And then I realized I wasn't wearing a shirt. And uh, that's when I'm like, wow, things are really getting bad around here. Um, so just to, that's probably more visual image than you wanted. But all that to say, we focus, on, we focus on different things within the body. And if we're not careful, we get out of balance. Hello? We get out of balance because we're not all working together. The body is not working in unity with itself. Listen, all, all of these things we've, we've tried to focus on is in these past days, being the people of God is this idea that we are in this together. The idea of unity, of oneness in the body of Christ and every single part doing its part. Colossians 3 says... Just jumping over to a sister passage. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, what were we called to? Peace and unity with one another. And as a result, be thankful. Again, there's an essential unity that needs to take place within the body of Christ. It, there's also a call to maturity, a call to grow up. Going back to Ephesians 4, verses... Um, Actually, that should be 11 through 13, not 3 through 6. 
But 11 through 13, it says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. For what purpose? To prepare God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach, here's that word again, unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How do we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Well, we unity in the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. How do we do that? How do we become mature? Well, we're to grow up in the Lord. In uh, Hebrews 6, chapter 3, it says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. There are some elementary teachings that uh, the author of Hebrews gives in uh, chapter 6. Uh, there are six of them that you can go and read about. Some of them you'll look at and you'll say, wow, those don't seem all that elementary. They seem a little more complex. And they are, but they're, they're foundational elements of the faith. If you ever wonder what the foundations of the faith look like, look at Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 6, those um, things about instructions about faith and baptisms and repentance of dead works. And um, he, he goes on uh, with the six that are listed there that you can look at. And then he calls us to go on to be mature in the faith. James 1, 4 says this, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. We've each been given a gift of grace that God has apportioned to us. And when we walk in those gifts of grace, as God, we need to understand what they are, we need to walk in them, and we need to walk in the unity with one another. And when we do, we'll grow up. Again, I'm going to visit my grandson today. He's about 18 months right now, I think. I should have shown you a picture. Again, cutest thing, I think, ever. If 20 years from now, he looks the same, acts the same, is the same, it'll be a tragedy. As cute as I think he is right now, as adorable um, as I think he is, the tragedy of perpetual immaturity is indeed a tragedy. And yet, in the church, we at times, we don't really even seem to care that people stay perpetually immature. Paul is over and over again saying, hey, people, grow up. One of the ways we grow up is to get over ourselves to walk in unity, walk in love, apply the gifts that God has given to us so that the body of Christ will be built up. There is a theological component, but Paul quickly moves from that theological component to saying, okay, you've got enough here to start walking it out to become mature. See, sometimes we think walking in maturity is we need more info. And I would say the Bible moves quickly from the informational aspect to the practical aspect. 
Yes, there is information, a body of knowledge that you need to have. But I would contend that 99% of the people in this room, for instance, have way enough knowledge to actually practice the power of God in their lives. You understand? I'm not trying to scold. I'm rather saying, people, it's time for the body of Christ to be what it's called to be. And we need to walk in maturity. So what are some signs of maturity? Well, living the life worthy. He said, hey, live the life that God has given you. Live the life worthily that he has given you. Walk in unity and teamwork. Speak the truth in love. Don't be blown around by other winds of doctrine. Again, to do that, we have to know that foundational element of truth. So it's not, again, not understanding theology, but he's saying stand firm in what God has given you. Be obedient. Use your gift to minister to others. Become a teacher. Be, I don't know my gift of teaching. You know, Paul, the author of Hebrews basically says this. Hey, you guys have been Jesus followers long enough. By now, you ought to be teachers. Grow up in the Lord. Well, what if I don't teach a class? He's not saying about teaching a class. He's talking about just another person. Find another person and help lead them in the faith. And the, the fear that we have of being teachers many times is this. We think, oh, I don't, I don't know everything. Therefore, I can't be a teacher. I don't know everything. Let me give you a hint. I'll give you the hint that my professor gave me when he turned me over to teach a class when I was in seminary. I, I, I came to him and I said, um, Dr. Bass, not the same Dr. Keith I'm seeing this afternoon, but another professor of mine in seminary, and they asked me to teach this class at seminary, and it's on, I'm like 24, I'm uh, pretty young, 24, and I'm going to be teaching this graduate school class. So they come to me and I said to Dr. Bass, hey, help me work out the syllabus. I, I want to know everything I need to teach for the whole semester. I want the whole thing worked out. And, and he, he was like, Bart, you're way too bent out of shape about this. I said, well, I want to know the whole thing. He said, look, just stay one step ahead of them. <laughs> Think about it. Isn't that what you want your teacher to do? Just stay, he's just one step ahead of me. You, you look that gum brilliant if you're one step ahead. You know what I mean? You may not know everything, but they don't know that. <laughs> You're not going to know everything when you become a teacher. Somebody's going to ask you some theological question that you are ill-equipped to handle. Go look it up. Go ask somebody. Pray about it. If you don't know it, find the answer. It'll help you end them. You're not going to know everything, so don't worry about it. But part of the sign of maturity is saying, you know what? I, I'm at least one step ahead of them. That may not be comforting to you. You may think, I think he doesn't really know what he's talking about. He's only one step ahead of me now. <laughs> You'll never know, will you? <laughs> Steps to maturity. Knowing the direction that you're going. Okay, so I want to become mature. How, how do I know if I'm becoming mature? Well, I'm going in the right direction. I'm moving toward Christ and the love of Christ and not away from him. I, I, I'm willing to receive correction. Have you ever tried to correct a baby? I mean, really. Again, I know I talk about my grandson a lot, but why not? My daughter-in-law was talking about how 
she was warning us that at 18 months, he's gone into that stage where if he doesn't get what he wants, he throws himself on the floor. We, some of us are not much better. You know, we don't want correction. We're just, we'd just rather scream and yell and throw ourselves on the floor. But there's a willingness in maturity to say, I need somebody to help correct and guide and direct my life. Clarification, a re-clarifying of the way. It's a constant part of our walk. The older I get, the more I realize that I, I know how to get here. I'm not, I see how God directed me. Now I need to re-clarify where I'm going. The next step, I need, I need new vision every step of the way. I don't, I don't know it all. I don't know the end game for what God has for fullness in the days that I, I just know the next steps. And that there is a destination. We ultimately know that we've all been given a destiny and we're moving in that direction. Which leads me to the final point, which is this, a call to action. A call to action. We, we're, we're unified, we're becoming mature, or are mature, and that leads to us actually doing something. Call to action. Back to verse 1 and 2. I told you I was going to come back to this. He says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I'm reading the Bible through this year uh, again, and I've decided to read it from the message. Uh, Eugene Peterson passed away uh, just not too long ago, and so in his honor, I, I decided to read the message. He's the one who, who translated the message. I've always liked his writings. And so here's how he puts it, Ephesians 4.1. I love this. I love it. He says, in light of all this, what Paul has said in the first three chapters, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run. On the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. It is a call to specific action, following the Lord. And he goes on in Ephesians 4, 2 and says, here's how you do that. You're, you're completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. Again, I know I'm hitting this kind of hard maybe, but <clears throat> here's the key. If, if you want to do the things that God has called you to do, you get outside of yourself. I mean, look at these characteristics. Humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. That is not a me-centered attitude. That is a you-centered. That is a God-centered. That is an us-centered view of what's taking place. Look at some of these passages. I'll just go through them quickly. 1 Peter 1 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for what? For action. Preparation and participation. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. In James, it says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. There is a call as Christian as followers of Christ, to act. Oswald Chambers puts it like this. He said, a saint's life is in the hands of God like a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. God is aiming at something the saint cannot see. But our Lord continues to stretch and strain 
and every ounce and every once in a while, the saint says, I can't take it anymore. Yet God pays no attention. He goes on stretching until his purpose is in sight, and then he lets the arrow fly. A participation, an act. Paul has already set the stage for this. Um, we love this first part of Ephesians 2, where he says, For it is grace you, excuse me, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Look at the flow of this passage again with me real quickly before we close this morning in this call to action. He says, it's by grace you have been saved. He, he says, before this, he said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and no dead thing can make itself alive. But God, by his grace, has saved you. By his grace, he has made you alive. Then he goes, that grace is activated by faith. And this faith, it's not even your faith. It's a gift of God. He actually gave you this faith as a gift. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's not by works because if you could earn it, then you'd boast in it. That's just the way we are. This is salvation. God makes dead things alive. By his grace, we're saved. That grace is activated by faith. That faith comes as a gift of his. Again, I know there's a lot of theology wound up in how we get saved, but just see it like this. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Whatever small, tiny, eensy, bitsy piece I got to play in the part, hallelujah. But really, it's by you. But then, look how it goes. He says, now, it's not by works that you get saved, but now... You're God's workmanship. You are his masterpiece. He created you in advance. For what purpose? To do good works. You know, we get all hung up saying, well, it's not by works. No, it's not by works, but it leads to works. It leads to us in action. The attitude that we get saved and do nothing is totally, totally opposite of what I believe Paul is trying to say in this whole thing. We now get to be what we were created to be, God's masterpiece. The masterpiece of each one of us looks different than the masterpiece of the other one. In other words, we're, we're God's treasure and he's gifted us and made us and formed us in different ways so that we can bring glory to his name. Mother Teresa said this, with Jesus, for Jesus, to Jesus. I am like a pencil in his hand, that's all. He does the thinking, he does the writing, the pencil has nothing to do with it. The pencil has only to be allowed to be used. Now, if you look at the life of Mother Teresa, you would say, man, she seemed a lot more than just a pencil. I mean, she did things I'm not even going to ever... But she saw it from the perspective of it's God's power and work within me. I'm a willing vessel. And that's what I'm calling us to be, willing vessels. See, the problem with many within the church today, as I perceive it, is that we're really kind of unwilling. I'm willing to get saved. I'm willing to go to heaven. 
I'd rather go to heaven than go to hell. I'm willing to get healed. I'm willing to get prayer. But am I really willing to be God's masterpiece? Am I willing to let him do the writing and me be the instrument or vessel that he uses? You see, we are all, all of us, ministers with a ministry to fulfill. Again, my job is to equip you. Well, what kind of ministry am I called to? I'm called to serve God. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare his praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I'm called to serve him. That's what priests do. They serve God. I serve God. I'm also called to serve the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4, at the end of this passage, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. That's the five-fold gift of men. This is another, this is the aspect of, of the uh, spiritual gifts being listed here in Ephesians 4. Why? Why were they given? To prepare God's people, that's us, for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How do we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Again, part of that is by doing works of service, allowing us to minister to the body of Christ. We are also called to minister to the world. We're, gonna, we're called to serve the world. We'll talk about this in the days ahead. But when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on me. He says to his disciples, hey, the harvest is plentiful. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers to the harvest field. Now, I, I, you've probably been like me at times where you've said, okay, I'm going to pray that the Lord would send out workers. God, send out workers to the harvest field. Send out workers. You know, what we forget is that God is saying, okay, I'm sending you. You're my worker. And he said, no, 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 I, I want you to send out others. Not me. Look, what he's saying is we're all workers. And God is calling us to serve him. And you may be saying, wait, I don't, I'm not really equipped to do evangelism. I know that's what this is talking about. I know Pastor, you're going to make me go knock on doors. You're going to make me stop somebody in the street. Tell them they're going to hell if they don't get Jesus. You know, if you're to die tonight and stand before Jesus and he'd ask you why I let you into my heaven, what were you going to say? And I'm going to have to say that to them. And I'm, you just start breaking out in a sweat just now. Just thinking about it. I think God calls us in different ways to evangelize based on who we are, our gifts, and our personality. We'll talk about that in days ahead. So don't get too bent out of shape. But at least be willing to pray about it. To say, God, show me my harvest field. Because in that, I can operate in your grace. Carl Lentz, who pastors a Hillsong church in New York, says this. He says, proximity creates passion. Distance creates distortion. Whatever you're close to, you will be passionate about. Whatever you're far from, you will not care about. That's why many pastors start out passionate about the lost, and then over the years, it becomes professional. I would say the same thing happens to Jesus' followers. We spiral into our own worlds. The only people you know, some of us, are saved already. 
Because we go to a church, we homeschool our kids in a Christian foundation. I, I, don't, know, I don't know any unbelievers. Why? Because we're not, we have no proximity to be passionate about those who are lost. He goes on and says it becomes corporate. You start to miss the culture. I want my hands to be as dirty as they can be. There is something about making sure you feel humanity again. Fullness, this is my prayer for us as I close. That in this unity, in this maturity, in this call to action to serve God, serve each other, serve the world, that the purpose of the church, his intent, would be made known. That the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. May fullness be like a a diamond held up to the light of the glory of God, that when the light of the glory of God hits it, that all the facets of the diamond reflect the glory of the God to the world around us. To do that, we need to be pencils, so to speak, in the hands of God. Are we willing? Lord, I pray this morning that you would indeed find us faithful and willing vessels, instruments of honor to be used in your hands. Lord, I pray that we would participate in the body. We would be the body of Christ, just as you've designed for us, that this would be us together, and that, God, in this, we would reflect the glory of God. Lord, I pray it for me. Lord, where my heart has become cold or callous or the proximity to those who are hurting and lost has been law is, is gone and waned. I pray for I pray for a new sphere of influence. I pray that God I would be found faithful in that sphere. I pray that for every single person here. I pray, Lord, that the glory of God would shine through us to reflect it to the world around us. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. Make, may we all, may we all become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.